Amen. Human beings have a habit of asking questions for purposes other than getting information. For instance, I walk into the kitchen with my briefcase in one hand, my keys in the other, with my jacket on to give Sheila a kiss before I leave, and she looks at me and says, are you leaving the house looking like that? (laughs) And I don't know how to answer that question because that was my plan. (laughs) And she's asking me a question. And what she's really trying to communicate is something other than the question that she asked, right? What she's saying is, you look awful. (laughs) And I'm embarrassed if you go to the office like that. And so I'll say, I was going to. What what should I do? Another time, she might say, um, well, what are your plans for dinner? And I look at her going, and I freeze because I don't have any plans for dinner. And so I'm feeling like I should have plans for dinner, but I didn't think about having plans for dinner. So what do I do? So, but I, after f- over 40 years of marriage, I've learned how to negotiate some of that. <laughs> well, I remember when my, I was a kid and my dad would ask me this question. What were you thinking when you did that? And, and I look back and I go, why would an adult ask us, as a, a, a kid, a son, when he's done something stupid, what he was thinking? Because he wasn't thinking. That's why I did it. Because I wasn't thinking. And so he's not asking for information. Sheila's not asking for information. And other times people say, well, are you busy tonight? Well... If I say no, then I have to do whatever you want me to do. Right? So don't ask me if I'm busy or not. (laughs) And I've learned to negotiate that question. Because we as human beings ask questions, not for the purpose of information. And and, and, uh, what's even worse is there are times um, when it feels like, well, in our sinfulness, we use questions to manipulate people and get what we want. Or other times we ask questions that are really accusations or that are criticism. And I, I think one of the, the, the devil's attempts to get us off track is to cause us to believe that when God asks us a question, he is condemning us. He is criticizing us. He is manipulating us. And he tries to take away this incredible tool of conversation between us and God that will cause us to experience the life that he has for us. 
Maybe you've never noticed how God asks questions. Maybe uh, as we look and as we're going to see in the Bible, he does that quite often with people. He asks them questions. And as you get into a deeper relationship with God, you'll notice him asking you questions. Because he's always, his purpose is always for our highest good and his glory. And through questions, he can lead us to a deeper relationship and a greater alignment with himself. And so today we're going to talk about how God engages us in conversation. And he, oftentimes he uses questions to do that. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, and we'll begin with verse 13 again. This is the, the uh, uh, account of two of the followers of Christ on resurrection day, traveling between Jerusalem and to a, to a town called Emmaus, and how Jesus shows up. Does anybody need a Bible? Okay, we get, need one up here. Luke chapter 12. 24, beginning with verse 13. And we'll, once again, we'll read through the entire account. Luke 24, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, and it was in, in the indication of the the language there is that they were having this back and forth, pretty, pretty emotional discussion. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, now... It is, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him stronger, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So we've been talking for a couple of weeks about this relational conversation as Jesus shows up. And we've already seen the first three realities here is that as life goes on, Jesus is near. That God is the reacher. And yes, if you haven't been with us for the last two weeks, I did make that word up. God is the reacher. He's the one that takes the initiative. And that God uses angst to pull us closer. We've talked about those three. There's CDs out here. There's also podcasts on the website. And there's video on YouTube if you want to go back and catch up. So let's talk about how God asks questions in relational conversation. So the fourth reality is that God engages us by asking questions. Let's go back up. I, I listed verse 19, but let's go back up to verse 17. So Jesus shows up, they're walking along, and it's as if he comes up behind them and joins them, but actually he just appears, and, and, and he said to them, he engages with them by asking questions. Verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Now, did he ask the question because he didn't know the answer? No. He asked the question just like we as parents do with little children to engage them to get them into the conversation, to draw us into a conversation with them. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Then one of them named Cleopas answered in a question with him. Why? Because questions is how we interact in conversation. If God was just a commander, he would just give orders. But because he's a loving heavenly father, he asks questions. And he, do, he will do it as you walk more intimately with him, in conversation with him, you will hear him asking you questions constantly. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? And Jesus responds, what things? And I love this picture. I just, how, because often what we call prayer is treated as a recitation or an activity, or a negotiation, or a contractual kind of communication. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. Rather than relational conversation. And what we see on the Emmaus Road is the pattern that we see in Scripture so often. Jesus engaging us in communication, this back and forth communication. And, and so God asks questions not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants to lead us to what will benefit us most. There are two types of relational conversations with God, and there might be more. This is just, as I was thinking this week, there are at least two types of relational conversation. The first is... Um, Constant connection, connection kinds of conversation. These are what we call nudges. So as we get on our knees, we surrender our day, and then the encouragement is watch for the nudges, listen for the nudges, listen for what God might have to say, how he wants to point us in some direction. But it also can be affirmations, just to let us know that he's close, let us know that he's near, or lessons that he wants to teach us and, and ways that he wants to inform us. It's, it's that walking in the yoke that we talked about last, last week with Jesus in one side and us in the other as, as he guides us through our days. 
These are the kind of living in step conversations as we're walking in step with him, having this constant conversation. Um, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians, it says, pray without ceasing. Have this conversation, this constant conversation with God where you're interacting with him as you go through your day. That's what we do in human relationships, right? It's just most of life is just conversation with one another. It's just going through our lives. Um, I've got so much here. I'm trying to evaluate what to hold on to. Um, So the constant connection, it's what we do as we go through our lives, as we, as we're walking uh, moment by moment, it's this communication of um, most of life is ordinary. With other people, most of life is just the ordinary conversation. Um, so think about the conversations that you have with other people. Most of our lives, it's, it's about, okay, what, what should we have for dinner? Who's going to take the trash out? Can you take the laundry to the basement? The car needs an inspection. I talked with such and such today, and this is what's happening in their life. Or, there's a spider on the ceiling! (laughs) Which being interpreted means, kill it! Or I'm going to kill you! (laughs) Right? There's, and, and just in this life, this ordinariness of life, we talk about those kinds of things. Or here's one that I like when our kids were young. Do you know what your son did today? <laughs> I thought he would, last week it was your son when he got the award. How come now he's my son? It's because he did what you would have done when you were little. But every, and, and, and so most of life is that just that human constant connection. Um, and, and, and one of the things to, to watch for in, in that ordinary kinds of conversation is to notice when God asks you a question repetitively. Over the last 15 years, I think, one of the questions that I hear a lot from God as I'm going through my day is, will you trust me with that? Will you trust me with that? Will you, I hear that a lot, which is an indicator that, I, that he's getting at something inside of me. What is it that is causing me not to trust? Lord, show me how I need to trust. Show me what I need to trust you with. Lead me. I, I want to trust you more. It's so, uh, I, I, I do trust you, but I want to trust you more. Show me what that means. And so watch for those things. So two types of relational conversations, just constant communication about the ordinariness as you go through your day. Um, and pay attention to those times when God really wants to affirm you. Because one, God came near in Jesus Christ. God with us. He sent the Holy Spirit to live within us because he wants to be near. And as a loving heavenly dad, he wants us to know that we're loved. He wants us to know that he's with us. He wants to give us affirmation not just instruction. Got it? 
But the second kind of relational conversation with God are significant moments. These are, and so most of communication is that ordinariness, but every once in a while there's a conversation that shifts the trajectory. Could be a little, it could be a lot. Um, and, and, and oftentimes it's, it's mostly in here. Um, so don't discount the ordinary connection, the conversations, the ordinary moments, but pay attention, especially when God um, wants, to, wants to do something that will change our trajectory. Now, here's one from last, last July, um, as we were preparing for our week of prayer and fasting. I've been talking a lot about nudges. I don't know for how many years I've talked about nudges, you know, pay attention to the nudges. And I don't even know how it came about, but God revealed to us about the knees part. And so the, this process of getting on our knees every day to surrender our day to God, listen for what he has to say, surrender every day, and then get up and live, live the nudges. And for the last year, we've been practicing that. And I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said that has been a powerful, transforming part of my life. There's something about getting on my knees every day that aligns me with God and prepares me and, and lets me be open to God more. That was, it didn't shift the trajectory 180 degrees, but just enough to cause us to experience God more. And I can tell you, I can tell you right now, our congregation is deeper spiritually than we've ever been in the history of New Song. And I attribute it a lot to that emphasis because there's so much that comes out of that simple practice of knees and nudges. Um, so um, for these two, this would be a trajectory changing conversation. Um, and then I began to think, well, it, it, I think there are a lot of biblical examples of this. I, I, wanna, I don't know how much time we'll have for, I don't even know how far we're gonna get. But there's a couple that I think give us an example of how Jesus interacts with us. So turn your Bible, you, you'll need to, we'll come back to Luke 24, but flip over to John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15. This is another incident after Jesus was resurrected, and he reaches, remember he's the reacher, so he reaches back out to the disciples, and, they, and he appears to them again. A group of the disciples had been out fishing. They weren't catching anything. Jesus is on the shore. He hollers, cast out on the other side to catch the fish. And suddenly they realize it's Jesus. They make their way to shore. He cooks them breakfast. In verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now note, in the, he's, they're, sitting around, they're all sitting around. And so the other disciples hear this conversation. Because oftentimes when God speaks to us, it's in the context of other people. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
son of John, here we go, asking questions. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This was a significant moment because it hadn't been that long since Peter had betrayed Jesus. And the Bible doesn't tell us all that was going on inside of Peter. But I got to believe that he was feeling a lot of guilt because they hadn't dealt with the issue yet. And now Jesus begins to deal with it. He says, do you really love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, meaning emphasis, meaning three times, it, oftentimes we see in the word of God when God wants to make a point, three times. And then he tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, crucifixion. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He asked him questions to lead him to the place of understanding that I, what your betrayal has not, um, has not, uh, deter it, it has not eliminated you from the role that I have assigned you. And it's going to cost you everything. Significant moments that change the trajectory. Now, is this just for apostles? No, it's for every single one of us. The trajectory might be one degree, it might be more than that. But there are significant moments in our lives when God asks us questions because he's leading us to deeper truths about what he wants us to be doing and who he is. Um, if we go back a little bit farther, Matthew chapter 16, if you want to turn there. Matthew 16, verse 13. This was before Jesus had gone to the cross. But he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he's got a trajectory changing moment that his followers need to experience. They need to understand. They need to have it solidified within themselves. Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Meaning himself. There he is, asking questions. Who do people say that I am? And I, and I get a kick out of this because I, oftentimes when I do audience participation, I'll say, what do people say about such and such? Because we have to get, you know, you have to make it safe for people to talk. And that's what he's doing. Who do people, not you, but who do, who do people say that I am? I'm, I'm giving you, I'm, I'm lobbing you a softball. Because there's no right or wrong answers here yet. Who do people say that I am? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now he's leading them closer to what he wants to communicate. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a trajectory-changing moment because it solidifies, it identifies, it confirms what they may have been thinking, but now Jesus states it bluntly. But he starts with questions to engage them. And so I got to thinking, there's a whole lot of other people. Elijah's another one. I put the scripture reference there to you for you. After Elijah had had this incredible uh, duel with prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and, and he wins, God sends fire down, and he proves that he's God. And then Elijah goes in the dumper. He's depressed, and he runs to the mountain of God. And there, God engages with him again. Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he leads him to an understanding of who God is and what God's plan is. Who? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? God uses questions to lead us to truth. Now, if we go back even farther in the Old Testament, we find Moses. And after spending a whole chapter telling Moses what he's about to do, and Moses just waffling on the whole thing, um, God says, Moses, what do you got in your hand? He asks him a question. Was it because God didn't know what a staff was? Was God, was, God ta- was God going, oh, I've never seen anything like that before. That's not why God asks questions. He wa- he's trying to identify something for Moses, and then he leads him to the place where Moses is ready to go. So God's purposes in relational conversations, conversation questions, First of all, it's to stop us. Here we find the two going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So flip back to Luke chapter 24. Verse 17. Luke 24, 17. Jesus joins them. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? What happens next? They stopped. They stood still. They're walking and they're talking. And then when, and then when Jesus asked the question, they stop. When God is asking us questions, it's because he wants us to stop and pay attention. And so oftentimes we're so busy that we're, we're talking to him as we're going through life. And, he, and we can't, there are some things that he can't get our attention on. There's some things he can't communicate unless we stop and give our full focus to him. Amen. And so they stopped. They stood still looking sad. Stop. And I think Jesus is saying, stop this emotional conversation that you're having because you can't hear what I'm having. I need to say to you as long as you're having this emotional conversation between the two of you. So stop. Walking, stop talking, just pay attention to me. If we go back to the opening scenario, I'm in the kitchen, briefcase in one hand, 
jacket on, keys in the other, and I lean over to kiss Sheila, and she says, are you going out looking like that? Her purpose is to get me to stop. Right? I wish you would just say that. (laughs) Are you really going out? She wants me to stop because she wants to save me from uh, embarrassing her and myself and having you have to look at me in a way that is uncomfortable for hours. So just by the way, if you ever see me dressed in something and you go, what? It's because I slipped out of the house really early before (laughs) I gave her a kiss. Also, by the way, if you ever see me in anything that is, it's because I bought it and she didn't. (laughs) I went to the store without her. Yeah, that's another story. He asks us questions to get us to stop, to pay attention. So, and in this conversation, and God said, you know, I'm walking along and I'm thinking and I'm praying to God and I hear him say, will you trust me with this? He wants me to stop and think about what I'm facing and what, he, what, what is the next step. God's purpose in relational conversation is also to expose in us where we're upside down. So he gets us to stop, and, and then he asks us questions to get us to, to start to turn away from the upside-down stuff in order to turn to the right-side-up stuff. So he says, what kinds of things? And, and we'll look at that later, another day. He says, he says what kinds of things? What kinds of things? And, and they go through all of this. We thought he was 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 this. And after that, Jesus will come back and show them where their thinking was upside down. Where it was right side up, and where it was upside down. Which brings us to the third bullet point there, is to reveal his truth. To reveal who God is and his truth. Have you ever had an aha moment? When you go, oh, I never saw that in scripture. It's because somehow God has gotten you to stop, recognize where you're thinking upside down, and then to see the truth about something. And so it's about revealing his truths, giving us those aha moments. So I go in the kitchen, briefcase in one hand, keys in the other, lean over to kiss Sheila. And she goes, are you really going out like that? I stop and I consider and I look down. I go, oh, maybe not. What should I wear? Which is the right question, right? So when God shows us where we're upside down, when we're doing something that we shouldn't, and we engage him in conversation, we say, what should we be doing? And then comes the challenge to repent and follow in fresh ways. So as the two are walking along, what kinds of things? They explain, here's all the things that we believe. And then he says to them, oh, you foolish people. Didn't it say in the prophets all that had to happen to the Christ. And then, he, and then he takes them through the Old Testament and he shows them exactly where they're going wrong. And then they have to choose, are we going to believe this or not? Right. Am I going to do something about this or not? Because it doesn't do any good if I lean over to kiss Sheila and she says, are you really going out there like that? I stop, I look down, I realize what I'm wearing. And then I go out the door. Yeah. 
It only matters if I go back upstairs and go, okay, well, she'll like this one, this one. No, I bought that one. I can't wear that. <laughs> Which, what, what does she want me to wear? What will save these people from having to stare at something that's ugly the whole entire sermon? <laughs> Don't get too enthusiastic about it. <laughs> so in this conversation, it's the ch- then ultimately the challenge to repent and follow in fresh ways, which we'll see in the weeks ahead. Number five, engaging God together is better. There are times when he takes, when we need to go to the garden. He walks with me, he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And there are times when we need that. But there, even more than that, there are times when we need to engage God together. That's why prayer gathering is so important. That's why worship is so important. Learning communities are so important. It's sharing meals together is so important. Because there's something that happens when we are learning together. So as Jesus is walking along, he doesn't pull Cleopas aside and he says, whoever the other one was, okay, you stand over there, I'm going to deal with Cleopas for a while. It's together. When Jesus confronts Peter about his betrayal, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's surrounded around this campfire by the other disciples. Because it's not just, it's we much more than me in this life with Christ. And so engaging God is better together. In verse 19, it says, and they said to him, even though Cleopas was the one who voiced it, they were talking about it as they go through this entire experience. Um, So we need to take things to God together. That's why we pray for Don and his family. That's why we pray for Kelly and you both, that we together, Jesus says, I'm with you. Gather in my name. I'm with you. Um, and, and, uh, and sometimes when we, we need to hear the voice of God, it comes through another believer. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he speaks to our souls. As, as, but some of the most powerful words that I've ever heard spoken to me have come through another believer. Come through. And, and, and sometimes in those moments, we look at each other going, whoa. And the other person who just, the words just came out of them says, I don't know exactly where that came. Well, yeah, I do. That wasn't from me. That was from the Spirit. And it's for both of us. Or it's for all of us. Engaging God together is better. And then number six, honesty with God is essential. Honesty with God is essential. Being transparent, willing, and open and surrendered is absolutely essential. And so when I say this, <laughs> the natural response, well, I am honest with God. I can't tell you how many times when God will say something to me. And he'll say, you know, you still, one of the big things has been, you know, you still think I'm mean like your dad. And my immediately knee-jerk response, gut response is, no, I'm not. No, I don't. I don't believe that. God says, yes, you do. No, no, I don't. We've already dealt with that. I already surrendered that. No, you still. And and then I realize I'm arguing with the God of the universe. (laughs) And think, I I need to stop that. But that's our knee-jerk reaction is we think we're being honest when oftentimes we're not. And sometimes we need another believer to tell us, Stop it. 
You're, you're saying that, but it's not really true. I can, I can see in your life. That's, that's a part of what the iron sharpening iron is all about. Right. And we need to be willing to say that to each other. And so when I go in the kitchen and Sheila goes, are you really going out like that? I said, well, I was planning on it. She goes, I don't think you should. Well, why not? I think it's... She goes, Herb, you're the oblivious one, and I'm the artist. <laughs> or something like that. Because she's shaking her head going, I don't say that. But she may not say those exact words. But when it takes me six months to notice that she changed the picture in our living room, <laughs> I have to come back and, be, okay, all right, you're right. I need to trust what you're saying is true. Honesty with God is essential. Look at verse 19, the end of verse 19. They said to him, after he asked them, well, what things? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So notice they're still loyal. They still want to believe. They're still in awe. They want that, but they knew the truth that he had been crucified. And so they're just being honest. This is, this is what we thought. This is what we believed. But th what, they didn't have all of the truth. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Implied in that statement is, we no longer believe that. Because he's dead. And even though we heard he's alive again, we still can't believe it. So they had the truth, but they didn't have all of the truth. But they were being honest. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. The facts were correct, right? But they didn't have all of it. And, it, and, and in order for... Jesus, to get them there, he had to ask them the questions that would lead them to the deeper truth. We have to be honest in our conversation with God. So when he asks you a question, don't try to pretend you're something that you're not. Amen. When I go in the kitchen, dressed in whatever, I need to remember, I'm a hillbilly from Southwest Ohio. I don't know how to dress. When, when I, you know, so some people said at the funeral or the visitation, they look at me, wow, you, wow. You dress up, you really can clean up. I know, you, nobody was that rude, but I know that's what you were thinking. That's because Sheila pointed it out. Don't wear your bib overhauls to a funeral. <laughs> and we need to be willing to hear what God has to say. 
and just be honest. This is how I'm feeling. God, I don't, right now it doesn't feel like you're near. I know the Bible says you are. And God says, okay, I can deal with that. I can take care of that for you. If you're honest with me. But if you're trying to pretend or theologize or give me Sunday school answers, I can't help you. As we develop closer relationship with God, deeper intimacy and deeper alignment, what we'll discover is that not only will we hear God asking us questions, we will respond with questions of our own. As he begins to reveal, you know, you need to change this. Instead of going off and thinking we know how to change that, we'll begin to ask the second and the third question. Well, how do I need to do that? What is it you want me to do in this situation? You're telling me to be more loving, but what does that mean? And what relationship are you talking about I need to be more loving? And if you're talking about that relationship, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? And and, it becomes this conversation that we have with an almighty God who knows everything, and an all-loving Heavenly Father who loves us beyond comprehension and who wants what's best for us. Relational conversations is a key to experiencing that life and life abundantly that Jesus promises. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I pray that you would take us deeper into this relationship Lord, you, in your word, you tell us we're supposed to cry out, Abba, Daddy, in this relationship with you. We know that you're almighty, all-powerful. We know that you're the holy God that is transcendent beyond us. But, Lord, help us to walk into your arms as the God who is with us, imminent, close. We don't know how to do that. So I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will lead us through your word, through fellowship, through um, prayer, through, through whatever means that you have, that you would teach us how to be interacting with you, hearing your questions, hearing your words, asking you questions, surrendering to you. And as we do, Lord, transform us into your image more and more so that we will be your salt and your light and your aroma to a world that desperately needs to see you. I put each one of these folks into your hands, God. Take them this week deeper into you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have prayer,